Chapter 5 of The Day's Journey. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Felicia Wang. The Day's Journey by Netta Surrett. Chapter 5. It was Lady Wilmot's at home day but so early in the afternoon that she could still indulge in the tete-a-tete -tete gossip with the friend who had lunched with her, a branch of her life's occupation in which she excelled. She was a woman who supported well her fifty-five years. A little portly, her grey crinkled hair arranged a la Malchus, her ample skirts further suggesting the era of powder and patches, her bright eyes full of rather malicious humour, Lady Wilmot was a somewhat striking figure. That she was more feared than loved probably flattered the vanity which was not the least of her characteristics. The circumstance certainly did not affect her. Possessed of an income sufficiently large to make the exercise of life's amenities a matter of inclination rather than of necessity, her inclination was naturally capricious, and she not infrequently smiled to hear herself described with a nervous laugh as so delightfully uncommon uncommon rude my dear had been her reply in one instance as would have discovered if i had happened to be mrs brown mrs smith or mrs robinson as it was Lady Wilmot's parties were attended by as heterogeneous a throng as any private house in London. In search of possible amusement, she cast her net wide, and, in company with men and women of her own sort, drew into the Onslow Square drawing-room journalists who wrote fashion articles, novelists who went into many editions, painters whose imposing canvases appeared every year on the sacred walls of the academy as well as those who worked in chelsea garrets then there were the faddists i have the best collection in london lady wilmot was wont to boast i have several excellent antique vegetarians a very good colour considering a complete set of mystics only slightly cracked any number of women athletes in a fairly good state of preservation as well as one or two interesting oddments lady wilmot's present guest was her niece a sharp-faced little woman who for two or three years had been living quietly in the country on account of her health this fact at least was stimulating it meant arrears of gossip to be retailed respecting the life history of their common acquaintances and since half-past one lady wilmot's tongue had not been idle the doings of the immediate family lasted through a protracted and hilarious lunch and when somewhat maimed and damaged its members had been dismissed there still remained the concentric circles of acquaintances lady wilmot began at the inner rings you know rose summers is home she said settling the fat cushions at her back with a view to lengthy comfort no dear without her gaby of a husband she's left him out there to get into mischief oh yes my dear he's not too great a fool for that none of them are did you ever meet jack summers 
a huge imbecile, you know, over-life-size, all body and no brains, the ideal man for a soldier. Rose had enough brains for two, returned Mrs. Carruthers. Yes, but no looks. Most unfortunate arrangement for a woman. She has to marry a man stupid enough not to know she's got them. She's staying with Cecily Kingslake. Oh, tell me about the Kingslakes, asked Mrs. Carruthers, with interest. They were just married the last time I met them. I used to think Cecily so pretty. What a mistake to make such a poor match. You should see her now, returned Lady Wilmot, composedly. Gone off? Gone under. Buried beneath honeysuckle and green stuff. The worst of love in a cottage is that love doesn't last, and the cottage does. But I thought Robert was getting on. Someone was talking about his last book the other day, and saying, Yes, quite lately he's been making money. There was always a popular streak in Robert which only needed working. Some woman's shown him where it lies, and he's got it in full swing now. So the guineas are beginning to roll in. Why some woman? Lady Wilmot chuckled. Don't you know a Robert? A clever woman laughs when she sees him coming. Susceptible? Thus putting it mildly. All men can take flattery in gigantic doses. Robert lives on it entirely. He dined here last night. Incidentally, he ate his dinner, but his true meal was provided by the girl he took down, who flung at him pounds of the best butter. Solid pounds. I blushed for her and trembled for him, but I might have spared myself the trouble. She's too clever, and he has too good a digestion. Didn't his wife come? No, he comes up to town to read, if one may believe him. And I happen to have asked Philippa Burton and young Nevern in to dine last night. Not a dinner party. So I invited Robert too. Perhaps she's the lady who inspires the new style of writing observed mrs carruthers building better than she knew she's quite capable of it returned lady wilmot but they only met last night she has designs on nevern i think temporarily abandoned for robert she's coming this afternoon by the way lady wilmot laughed again i asked her on purpose to meet dick maine i thought they'd be so quaint together why inquired her niece you haven't seen philippa She's one of the most interesting objects in my collection. Where did you find her? Don't you remember Major Burton? That seedy-looking man at Cheltenham? Retired, you know, on half pay. Used to be in your father's regiment. Well, she's his daughter. He died some five or six years ago, leaving her next to nothing, and now she potters about. You know the sort of thing such girls do, tinkering with copper messing about with furnaces to make enamel hatpins, designing horrible, bleak-looking furniture, and so on. Does she get a living at that? My dear, don't ask me to probe the mysteries of a woman's income, exclaimed her hostess with a laugh. She's pretty, and evidently she finds sandals and mystic gowns useful. When a woman's not sufficiently original to get money or notoriety by her brains, she often achieves both through her fads. Philippa's one of those young women who will always be taken up by someone. Silly spinsters of uncertain age have a habit of doing it, 
She's just been living with one of them who adored her, thought her a transcendent genius instead of a clever little humbug. Now the smash has come. If you mention Miss Weatherby to Philippa, she looks pained and sighs. It is so sad to lose one's illusions. Miss Weatherby is not quite the fine woman I thought her. What Miss Weatherby says about Philippa, I don't know. I'm not acquainted with a lady. But I can guess. There used to be a man about. What's become of him now? I don't know. Another illusion gone, possibly. Philippa is mysterious in more ways than one. But there, my dear, what does it matter? If you begin to be moral, you lose half the fun of life. I'm strictly unmoral on principle. Unmoral's such a good word, isn't it? Anyhow, I'm looking forward to the meeting between Philippa and Dick Maine. He doesn't know the type, and she will embarrass him so beautifully. I hope she'll try to flirt with him. I think I shall scream with joy if she does. It will be too funny. You know Mr. Maine is going to stay with the Kingslakes, gasped Mrs. Carruthers, placing edgeways with difficulty her little contribution to the news. No! It was a piece of information that had hitherto escaped her aunt, whose manner of receiving it caused Mrs. Carruthers to bridle with importance. Yes, I happened to meet him yesterday at the Veazies, and he told me so. Why shouldn't he? Why, you know how desperately in love he was with Cecily. But that was years ago. When they were engaged? Yes. My dear, if you'd heard Robert's ravings at the time! Heavens, how funny it was! He and Cecily nearly came to grief over it, because Cecily said Maine was an old friend and she couldn't refuse to see him, which was, I believe, what the lunatic wanted her to promise. Robert's my godson, and is good-looking enough to make me quite fond of him, but he's a heaven-born fool for all that. Have you ever heard his rhetoric when he's excited? You should, as worthy of a successful melodrama. He used to do the romantic hero in love to perfection. His feeling for Cecily was such that it was a profanation for any other man to touch her hand. And did I think a woman who allowed a rejected suitor to have tea in the same drawing-room with her could possess that burning, white-souled adoration for her affianced husband which he required from the woman who has to bear his name? I offered him the impossible advice of not being a fool, and Maine went away to catch tigers and fevers, and the public ear. Yes, he's done that, returned Mrs. Carruthers. He's quite a great man now. The papers are full of him. Mr. Maine, announced the footman at the door. We were talking about you, said Lady Wilmot, rising graciously. I was unconscious of my danger returned Maine, with an audacious smile which met his friendly response. Maine was, with Lady Wilmot, a privileged person, chiefly because he took her maliciousness for granted. "'You've grown,' she remarked, regarding with critical attention his bronzed face and tall, well-knit figure. "'What did you expect? I was but a lad of thirty when I left you.' He had shaken hands with Mrs. Carruthers, and— seated himself on the end of a divan by this time, very much at his ease. "'You're much better looking,' was Lady Wilmot's next comment. "'I can bear it,' he returned, imperturbably. "'If I say you haven't altered at all, it's the best compliment I can pay you.' "'I will ignore his lack of truthfulness and give you some tea,' she said, crossing to the tea-table. 
are you going to read any more papers this time why didn't you come to see me when you were home two years ago because dear lady you were abroad was i so i was who did you see then did you see the king's lakes she shot a glance at him as he rose to take the cup she offered but his face was immovable i didn't see anyone after reading an exceedingly dull paper before the royal society i fled to the shelter of the paternal roof in ireland desperately ashamed of myself you don't want me to ask you about your travels and explorings do you it would bore me a great deal to hear them sugar thanks no not half so much i'm sure as it would bore me to tell them i came to hear all the latest scandal won't you begin before the actors arrive miss burton said the man at the door too late ejaculated lady wilmot as she went forward to meet her new guest ah how do you do philippa my dear did you bring an escort of police or is the untutored savage getting used to sandals my dear where will your hair stop you look like Milly sand can't you throw some of it out of the window mr maine will run down and climb up he's used to athletic exercises by the way mr maine miss burton now we can go and talk lions and things he's an explorer you know here's mr nevern he'll have to put up with me how do you do mr nevern during those somewhat incoherent remarks miss burton had adopted the simple expedient of doing nothing and as maine was constrained to admit doing it rather well she stood with a faint dreamy smile just touching her lips and waited till there was an opportunity of offering her hand to maine this she did with a slow movement according to the state of mind of its recipient subtly graceful or somewhat affected rather characteristically maine inclined to the least flattering of these strictures he did not like that kind of thing even though in this instance it was the act of a woman by many people considered beautiful philippa burton's tall figure was of the sinuous type and she clothed it in trailing garments cut on the latest hygienic principle combining conspicuousness with impracticability the robe she now wore was of some coarse white material a little soiled at the hem where it trailed and a little too low at the neck where several necklaces of bees were wound about a full white throat her hat of that peculiar make which flies from the head and is restrained by ribbons tied under the ear revealed rather than covered quantities of dark rippling hair of the rosetti texture her dark eyes full of a cultivated mystery very effectively lit a pale face whose excessive spirituality was redeemed by full red lips you are the mr maine she began with an elusive smile i read your travel book it is wonderful a book that sets the blood racing in one's veins you are one of the strong men i worship strength in men maine felt uncomfortable he had been out of the civilized world for some time and was new to the fashion of emotional conversation in drawing-rooms and omnibuses oh my little book he answered carelessly i can't write a bit you know it was awful stuff at least the way it was put together the material was all right 
But indeed, you do yourself injustice, Philippa returned, in her peculiar low voice, as always surcharged with feeling. Mr. Kingsley was saying only the other night how wonderfully vivid is your style. So much color, so much... You know Robert Kingsley, interrupted Maine with interest. We met here the other night, at dinner, she said, fixing her wonderful eyes upon his face in an abstracted way. What a charming man! He has a beautiful soul, I'm sure. There is poetry in his work, idealism. He's made a lot of money over this last novel of his, remarked Maine, a little brutally. Yes, doesn't that show that the world is waiting for a message? The poor, sad world that longs to be shown the beauty it is missing. I haven't noticed it, returned Maine. But then, I haven't seen much of the paying world lately. One must have faith, said Philippa, softly. The faith that removes mountains. And brings in the shekels, laughed Maine. Kingsley's has been justified anyway. I'm going down there next week, he added, for the sake of changing the rarefied atmosphere of the conversation. To Sheepcote, you know, with the Kingsley's. Yes, so Mr. MacDonald told me. Mr. Kingsley, I mean. I knew his work first through his non de guerre, and I can scarcely think of him yet as Mr. Kingslake. We shall meet again, then, she went on. I'm going to Sheepcote, too. What's that? asked Lady Wilmot, who, as Maine rightly surmised, had been keeping one amused ear upon the conversation, while she failed to listen to Mr. Nevern with the other. What's that? You going down to Sheepcote, Philippa? What for? So strange, returned Philippa absolutely undisconcerted by the brusque impertinence of the question, and she recounted the information she had written to Cecily. And do you know, dear Lady Wilmot, that I went to school with Mrs. Kingslake, Cecily Merivale? Wasn't it a charming discovery to make? I'm longing to meet her again. Dear Cecily, I haven't seen her since she was about seventeen. She was so pretty. Well, if it's her looks you care about, you'll be disappointed. She's lost them. I've no patience with a woman who loses her looks. It's so careless. But, dear Lady Wilmot, began Philippa, with a tender smile. After all, do looks matter? Don't be a humbug, my dear. You know they do, returned her hostess with finality. Main Rose, don't go. I haven't spoken to you. Lady Wilmot commanded. Now, Mr. Nevern, you can talk to Philippa. So, you're going to stay with the Kingslakes? Kingslake asked me to go down, yes. I thought you and he were not the best of friends. Maine shrugged his shoulders with a smile. I have no recollection of any quarrel. Quarrel? No, but... She paused. It was difficult even for Lady Wilmot to continue before the impassivity of his face. I'm sorry Cecily is not looking well, he said, deliberately mentioning the name he knew trembled on her tongue. Diana told me. I went to see her yesterday. Diana's grown, he added, with a broad smile. Grown up. How do you like Philippa? She inquired, 
in a slightly lower tone as she walked with him to the door there are questions of yours which i have always resolutely refused to answer lady wilmot laughed with evident enjoyment you felt what a little boy feels when someone sings a hymn in the drawing-room on weekdays she declared turn round she's telling nevern what a beautiful soul he's got involuntarily mayne followed the direction of her eyes mr nevern a round-faced young poet was leaning towards miss burton and regarding her with an expression in which flattered vanity struggled with boyish admiration and it was with difficulty that Maine checked the laugh his hostess had been anxious to provoke. Goodbye, he said. I meant what I told you. You haven't altered a bit. In any way. End of chapter 5 Recording by Felicia Wang